Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. Up next, we're going to keep this jam-packed show going. We got Dr. Jonathan Wilson on the line with us. We're talking about Philadelphia Renaissance. It's Black History Month, so why not talk about the Renaissance? But before we get into today's conversation, I do want to just let you know that February is not just Black History Month. It's also American Heart Month. Join Word President and CEO Sarah Lomax for a heart-to-heart, real-talk conversation about health, a special on-air symposium tomorrow, February 21st, from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., this will be an expansion discussion about the all matters of the heart and medical experts who dis- who will discuss the connection between high and diabetes stroke and heart disease and how to enhance the heart health through diet exercise and stress reduction the talk will explore the emotional side of the heart love compassion grief and relationship tune in tomorrow night from 4 to 6 p.m you don't want to miss this life-saving life-affirming conversation again that's going down tomorrow february 21st from 4 to 6 p.m but we got dr jonathan wilson on the line founder of the father Ship Foundation. Good afternoon. How you feeling? Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Always good to kick it with you. How Man, you? exactly. I'm excited to have you on the airways with us, man. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let the people know exactly who they're listening to. My name is Dr. Jonathan Wilson. I'm the executive director of the Fathership Foundation. The Fathership Foundation is a community-based 501c3. We operate in Southwest Philadelphia in the zip codes of 19143, 19142. And one nine one four five three. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Jonathan Wilson, the work that you're doing, you already know you got my full support. But right now we're here to talk about the Philadelphia Renaissance, right? This is something you've been pushing yes. all Black History Month. But first, before we right. jump into it, you know, when it comes down to Black History Month, do you feel like uh, we're we're doing it right? You know, do you feel like in 2024 we're, we're doing it right? We're, we're, we're keeping Black American history alive or just Black history in general alive? Um, well, I'm 52 years old, so I'm official dinosaur, <laughs> and I was born in 1971. So I was born. I got all the energy right after Malcolm and Martin died, and um, and and and, and Kennedy as well. So it was electric when I was born. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Daddy Hathaway, everything is everything. Album, all the Black Power movement, and all that kind of stuff. Actually. My dad was a Black Panther. Uh, my mom was a uh, secretary for the NAACP. Okay. So the apple don't fall too far from the tree. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, in my in my opinion, I think it's it's intensified. It's more like when I was coming up. I was actually there when the Afro was like really big and stuff. My mom <laughs> had one. I was actually there, and then I was in college when they came back in the nineties. So um, it's really cool. I think that what has enhanced Black History Month and just the um, the embrace of it is social media. Um, you get the little videos. I mean, there was no social media, so I think that it's um, it's equal with um, as far as intensity as back in the day. I just hope so it I don't. Cause I just it. hope it's not turning into a gimmick, right? You know, all these gimmick holidays. Mm-hmm. You know, such as Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, all mm-hmm. these things. Like, don't say. People, I, I'm not going to take away the meaning from other people, right? But I just don't want it uh-huh. to turn into a gimmick or something that people pander to around this time so they can make some money. I want it to actually be something that's educational and comes with some information. You know, just how we push Martin Luther King Day, I think we need to push mm-hmm. uh, Black History Month as well. 
I think that's being done. Uh, when, I mean, especially just with me, just being an older person, looking on social media and seeing the intensity. Um, a lot of the videos that I'm seeing, they're really um, well researched. Um, you know, the, the like it's a general video that I've been seeing when people are giving a history lesson and they're there talking and they have the video in the background. Like, I think that, you know, content creation has jumped leaps and bounds. Hmm. I think it's a super thing. I'm with it. And, you know, uh, Dr. Wilson, we're about to go to a quick commercial break. And right after this quick commercial break, we're going to jump right into the Philadelphia Renaissance, what that mean and what that's all about. And how did you come up with the concept and the idea behind it? Uh, Jordan, take us to this quick commercial break. I appreciate you holding it down this evening again. I'm your girl, POC, filling in for James this evening. Ready? What's up? And now back to Evening Words with Dr. James Peterson on WURD, Progressive Black Talk Media. Yep, yep, to the yep, yep. You already know what time it is, man. It's your girl, POC. Turn your radios up, spread the word, spread the message. Shout out to James Peterson, um, who is the actual host of Evening Word, allowing me to come through and guest host for him this evening. Um, again, you can make sure you hit us up, 215-634-8065, toll-free, 1-866-361-0900, on Facebook at Forward, on Twitter at Onward, and Instagram at Onward as well. And, you want, and if you want to find more information about me, you can find more information at Revive underscore POC. That's the place where you need to be. You can also click that link in my bio at revive underscore POC. It's going to take you to reviveisalive.com, where that's the website where you can find more information. And don't forget, each and every Friday, starting at 10 a.m., I'm on your airways, reviving your airways with Eco Word. Make sure you making sure I'm bringing you that greener, safer Philadelphia each and every Friday, talking about environmental justice on Eco Word. And we want you to be a part of that conversation as well. But right now, we got Dr. Jonathan Wilson on the line talking about the Philadelphia Renaissance. You know, some people is like, what is that? What is this all about? Dr. Wilson, tap mm-hmm. in. What is it all about? Well, similar to the Renaissance that revitalized um, culture in Florence early after the Dark Ages, like centuries ago, the Philadelphia uh, Renaissance mirrors a commitment to artistic and community-driven renewal. So, usually a Renaissance in a historical context comes after, it's a rebirth or um, uh, reach back to a golden age after some kind of large proximity to death and despair. And I think uh, the COVID um, epidemic, pandemic, um, global pandemic, and also the surge in violence um, at that time, I remember I was talking to you around that time, um, in 2020, um, there was this huge surge in violence and uh, rise in death, but the main thing that qualifies is that we were at the proximity to the population. So at that time, in 2020 to 2020, I'll say 2021, we experienced a lot of death and despair, and it had an impact on us. And I think the positive, it was a, even though it was a negative thing, there was a positive impact and effect. I think everybody started to move together. Um, You had, um, this everyday Philadelphians, the arts community, the uh, restaurant community, like every community kind of like stepped up. And then not even five years later, we have a completely different trajectory. Um, and I think that where we landed was in a budding renaissance. It isn't really fully bloomed yet, but I believe that it just should be identified as starting so you have just all these positive things, just like other places. Um, 
For example, I talked about Florence, Italy. After the Dark Ages, like for example, they had this problem with um, during the Dark Ages, there was the, um, remember the Black Plague? Mm-hmm. And people didn't know what was going on. Everybody was dying. And we came to find out that it was um, because of technology and the moving around of ships and trade, there was a flea that would bite rats and the rats would be on the boat. And that's what was spreading the plague. So the fleas would catch it. I think, I think they would catch it from the, from the infected rats and then bite people. And it just spread. And it was just like so many people died. Something like the pandemic here and gun violence. So after that, but one of the impacts of that was that they say the only two technological things that came out of that period was the wheelbarrow and the button. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it was like really um, and a lot of art and science moved more to the Middle East and to the Mediterranean. So Europe at that time, the West at that time, um, had an issue because of that, because of that pandemic, or because of the epidemic and that, that the pandemic. So actually. what you're saying, Dr. Wilson, is that after every pandemic, it needs to come a renaissance. Well, if history tells us that we can identify two, hmm. two times when a population was traumatized by proximity to death and despair. And the two that I have identified would be the Florentine Renaissance in Florence, Italy. Out of that came Michelangelo, um, Machiavelli, um, all that, all the artists um, that came out of, out of that, that time um, that reached back to Rome and the reached back to the Golden Age and all the, the Sistine Chapel and all that stuff came out of that uh, uh, humanism, all that. But the same thing happened after the lynching epidemic, during the lynching epidemic and the Great Migration from the South, that was another um, situation where you had a great um, proximity to death and despair, uh, the lynching epidemic and all that, and African-Americans moving to California and also coming up to the North. And where they landed was Harlem. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Harlem Renaissance kind of grew and evolved out of that. But it was also the... The uh, similarity to to Harlem was the um, fostering a sense of community and empowerment and community-driven initiatives with housing um, and African-Americans building Harlem as a place for African-Americans to go. And then the arts and all the jazz and everything that came out of that. So I identify, in my opinion, that that's happening here in Philadelphia with all the great work, the grassroots organizations, the hot restaurants like, you know, Tasty's, Amina, um, the work that people at Wallow and Gilly dominate in the, um, the podcast um, space, um, Sots, Suler, everybody, ODAT, people that are doing all the work down in Kensington. It's, just, it's, like, it's like a renewal, a community renewal. And I just don't think this is happening in any other city. So I called it the Philadelphia Renaissance. And, you know, some people would combat that, right? Because even though you say there's a lot of nice things happening, we still see so much, you know, on the negative side happening at the same time. Uh, and I'm someone who looks at the brighter picture, you know, but at the same time, I can't deny the reality in which we live in. So when you see people combating, like, I see where you're going with it, Dr. Wilson. But at the same time, like, look at your reality of what's happening. Yeah, but well, look at the reality. Yeah, I would say I would I would agree. Look at the reality. Just look a little closer. First of all, we're dealing with 
um, a 30% drop in gun violence. That didn't just happen by itself. I think that was, uh, it is a reflection of that, um, the money that was poured into, and, see, and so many things at this point in history converged. You had the elections of certain politicians that were progressive. Um, you had uh, Larry Krasner's DA funneling millions back into small organizations that never really got any money before. Mm-hmm. Um, also, um, he had some historic elections where talented, where talented um, uh, African Americans were elected and held historic um, places in government, like Joanna McClinton as Speaker of the House up there in Harrisburg. Or you had um, you have super talented Kenyatta Johnson, the historic um, election of Sherelle Parker. All these things converging in history at this point, um, adding to. Uh, this renaissance is like a collective. Everybody is well. People, people push back. But everybody's popping. Like all the right people are. All the people are in the right spot. They're bringing. Look at um, they're rebuilding. Look at um, Myers Recreation Center is being redone. Um, as a direct result of uh, you know, political West, I believe. Um, up there in Harrisburg, we never got money before. How long has King Sesson looked like that? I, when I go on the Mars, I used to look at the smell the same way it did when I was 17. Mm-hmm. The same carpet was there. That's being, you know, rebuilt. Um, it's like all these things are happening um, and, and, and putting us in a different trajectory. Mm-hmm. And in such a small time after all that death and despair. And then let me ask you this, because a stereotype comes with that as well. You know, you want to say Philadelphia Renaissance, but at the same time, people will say Philadelphia, uh, the people who are pop, not allegedly the people who are popping and, and some of the people who got into these spots it came with corruption. You know what I mean? It came with it's not about what you know, it's about who, you know, type situation. So what, what would you say to that when you think about a Renaissance? And I'm not pushing back to the idea or the thoughts of, you know, it being in this time where we can have a complete complete 360 in the city, but just asking the right questions at the same time. is definitely my job. Yeah. I mean, I don't know of any corruption. Um, I know that people will be people. Um, I haven't seen it. I don't, I'm not aware of any corruption. Okay. And, and you know, when it comes down to even the economic development, you know, where do you see that okay. happening? I know you talked about people receiving the grants and getting the money, but how can we put that back into the community as far as the economic development and the strategies? Well, I think that's a good, I think the fact that, um, so there's different kind of money coming to the neighborhood. So you have your grassroots organizations that go through a heavy vetting process and people just don't give you money. Mm-hmm. We were actually talking about that when on our first guest and yeah. he's from Southwest as well. Um, yeah. but he doesn't have a 501c3. He's just typically doing it on a grassroots level. Um, and he's yeah. not receiving grant money, but he's receiving funding to do what he's doing. Okay. I'm on aware of who you were talking to, mm-hmm. but, I, but generally, and when it comes to grants and things of that nature, you need to have a 501. So you need to be organized. And I think that no serious person is going to give anyone, any group, um, any money without having all their ducks in order or ducks in a row. So you're going to have to have a 501 C3, but if you do, it means you're going to have a board. It means you're going to have bylaws. You're going to have things that are required that make the choice safer to give you money. Um, there's definitely always a vetting process, especially with the VA, the city and the state. Um, I I was given some money from the city for the first time, but I've been in business for 
since two, 2014. Mm-hmm. And I haven't gotten any money from the city. Mm-hmm. I've gotten money from the state and from individuals. And if anybody that's in this business you know that the biggest people that give away money are individuals. Mm-hmm. The last is the government in those micro grants. So um, it's a science. Fundraising is a science. Um, and let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. And I don't mean to turn this conversation sure. into, you know, tit for tat. Sure. But you're saying sure. you had a 501c3 for the past, what, it's 2024 now. So 2014, 10 years, a decade. Mm-hmm. And you're just mm-hmm. now receiving grant money. Um, so you've been doing the work for over a decade and you're just now getting money from well, the city. Well, I just got grant money from the city. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. So, but I've, got grant, I've, got, I've gotten grant money from other cities. I'm just talking about from Philadelphia. So, um, uh, I have some, uh, some thoughts about that. So it doesn't matter if you have your paperwork in a row, though. It's still, you know, a doggy dog world out there when it comes to getting these grants, you know, whether you big or small. It's, 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 it's tough. I think that, um, I have a much greater footprint now. Um, but I'll say this to kind of piggyback on what you're saying and agree with you that, and I wrote a dissertation, right? So that's the proposal for that. There's no proposal that can compete with that, right? Um, I wrote some super proposals that did not get funded. Mm-hmm. I can just, let's just, I'm going to just leave it there. Well, I can speak to one. One was your buyback, your gu- buyback the gun program mm-hmm. for sure. Well, that one, yeah, yeah, and that that was good, but but there was a lot of politics with that. So that's a great example. So I wrote a grant. Um, I think it targeted, targeted. Tar- I forgot the name of it, um, but I did uh, respond to that RFP. I think I did an excellent job. There were other people as well, um, and I think that, but I didn't have a fiduciary, so I think they wanted me to have a bigger person. I didn't have, I hadn't had a lot of outcomes in Philadelphia yet. There's a lot of reasons why I might not have gotten the money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the gun buyback was too controversial. And I think, I believe that's, I think if I didn't have the gun buyback, I, I would have got the money. Mm-hmm. But it was the fact that I want, the fact that I wanted to spend all that money on buying guns back. And I think the city was not ready for that at all. That's then, just my opinion. Their- I don't know. But the city has its own initiative, you know, as far as buying the guns back from um, community members well, and, and offering one, cash that, for it. I don't I don't think that that's not a city project. I think that it has the support of the city mm-hmm. and city officials and the people that are involved and has been doing this work much longer than me. Um, but I think that they have their heart in it. But I spoke, you know, many times about how I th- thought it was outdated and it wasn't enough. Um, I think that New York did it. Uh, I wrote a, you know, I wrote a lot about gun buybacks and the way that they should happen, backed it up with research and stuff like that mm-hmm. from peer review research. And, um, I believe there were some people in New York that did it for 500 and they did very well, right? But they didn't go to the government at all. They had went to the, um, they relied on the business community. So that would be probably my next step if I wanted to try to make that happen. No doubt. But the city was not, they, they was not, they were not ready for that. 
And I think and, and I think sometimes when it comes down to innovative minds like yours, um, it, 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 that is a problem, you know, being ahead of your time yeah. and wanting to see things happen so quickly and fast um, and knowing that you have an administrator you got to check in with or, you know, city officials you got to lock in with in order to get things done. And they're not ready for that because they are right. trying to do their own thing or have their own agendas, I should say. Um, but I want to ask you this question, too, specifically yeah. off of something that you were talking about earlier um, this week. It was it wasn't necessarily attached to your renaissance piece but it's something that I thought yeah. about as far as just the family structure or in general you were talking about the black family you were talking about the black father um, and that made me want to ask you this, this question specifically sure. uh, about and it made me think about education, you know, because when it comes mm-hmm. down to having that education in the home uh, it made me think about your thought and perspective on um, the public school to prison pipeline and how is that okay. affecting our young youth right now well, you have to look at the school to prison pipeline, pipeline, excuse me, in a context of structural inequality. So um, what generally happens is the structure um, and in historical background as well. So I mean, context as well. So you have a situation where you have pockets. Uh, you have a population that only holds about two percent of the wealth. Right. And the reason not to go too deep into history, but. The reason for that is 92 years of Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. So, and then you have a country that is not even willing to uh, study the impact of Jim Crow. But then you have a population of people like me from from that demographic that understands exactly that that what needs that's what needs to happen. So then we start nonprofits and try to um, ameliorate or address those health, wealth, and disparities ourselves all the time knowing that we really need the government to step mm-hmm. in because it was a it was a state sponsored thing. It was a federal thing when you couldn't get a FHA loan and they made a red they actually red line with a marker, do not lend to these areas. Um Homestead Act not going to African Americans, GI Bill not going to enough African Americans. Um Levitt and his um Levittown or what Levitt, this guy that started the suburban phenomenon, locking blacks out and locking us out of wealth development over time. So fast forward, all that, we're in 2024, we only hold 2% of the wealth in the, in the United States. And that, as a doctor, I can say that it's statistically impossible um, for every for every $5 that an African-American family has, the white family has 100. Mm-hmm. So that is that. And that comes from the schools and everything, school to prison pipeline. That comes from decades and decades and decades and decades of institutional discrimination. And then let me ask so, you this. And I don't want to yeah. cut you off, but we got a limited time sure. before we go to the sure. break. Sure. Um, and again, I yeah. thank you, uh, Dr. Wilson, for jumping in on this conversation no today, you know, amplifying this Black History Month conversation with the Philadelphia Renaissance. But that's how I wanted yeah. to really where I, where I wanted to go. How does that tie into each other? Right. We talk about education, the pipeline, the school um prison to pipeline to school prison I'm sorry prison to school pipeline and then we mm-hmm. talk about the black renaissance the Philadelphia renaissance how do these things tie into each other when we think about the education that our, our children our youth are receiving here in Philly and then we want to go into you know having a Philadelphia renaissance yeah so part part of the part of the renaissance is the a renaissance brings like I say with the Medici family and the Florentine renaissance um, they develop banking the, the foundation of our banking system now that people use that today, banking, right? So a lot of the things in my mind that that are happening now are innovations of, 
of things like that. And history is, is history itself is men, women, and institutions moving forward in time and space. In time and space, uh, kind of the foundation of that being the forward, the forward movement of technology, mm-hmm. right? And that could be technology and thinking as well, based on stored knowledge or peer review or what the research says. So, for example, um, how does the Renaissance um, intersect with um, the prison, the uh, school to prison pipeline? Well. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Wilson starts a at the school program that hires professional tutors to make sure that those kids that would be um, that would be not reading well, um, and then the trajectory would start there. Um, are taking advantage of the data that says from uh, 1990 to 2020, uh, you see in the study um, disparity between in math of, of eighth graders and fourth graders uh, at about 32 points for math, I think, and 28 for a difference uh, in performance of blacks and whites, 20, 32 points in math and then uh, 28 in reading or something like that or vice versa. So what does uh, somebody like me do? They uh, create a program that concentrates on foundational math mm-hmm. and reading and um, targeting strengths and weaknesses of those Title I elementary school kids to make sure that they start achieving and having the experience of achievement and don't go the opposite direction where by the time they're 16 they're dropping out because they've never been good at school. So you said we need community leaders. It, it will merge. It will blend and it will merge well, with more community, community. Yeah, and I think that's definitely happening. Happening. Look, I mean, there's just so many. Look at our political leaders um, and the grassroots leaders. Um, for example, economic development. Look at what um, Saad is doing with that uh, uh, flea market. Flea market. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or what? Um, uh, Soldiers for Recovery. Or um, I want to talk to her about that as well. I think that's a that was a great, great marketing. Yeah. And ODAT is down there addressing the. The problem. Everybody's addressing the problem. The problems aren't just getting worse. Mm-hmm. I actually got better. Ryan Harris from As I Plant the Seed coming up next, right behind you. So um, when it comes oh, down yeah, to yes, grassroots yes, leaders, yes, yeah, man, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Cheney guys, man, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, and then you got to tie it to the talented Tim. You know, WB says that we have to. We're the ones that's gonna um, be able to um, to help our people the most. Mm-hmm. You know, the talented Tim. So we, you know. It's like Cheney Grass doing a lot. You know, See you. <laughs> for See sure, you. For sure. you so <laughs> exactly. That, uh, that, so, so that, 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 um, keeping our HBCUs was, alive is another reason how we can right, connect this Renaissance for sure. Yeah, so Doc, definitely, definitely. Dr. Wilson, yeah. I always love kicking it with you, man. Thank you for, you know, joining in on this conversation today on Word Radio. Before I let you go, tell the people how they can find yeah. you, stay locked, donate to your organization, all that good stuff. Yes, yes, yes. So you can, uh, the best way to connect with us and find out what we're doing in real time is to follow our Instagram. We will be starting to, um, we're kind of locked out of our Facebook uh, <laughs> first platform we had. I got to contact them and see how we can get back and get back on that. But basically we're on Instagram and we always go to our website, fathershipfoundation.org. No doubt, man. I appreciate you. And how can they read your article on the, Bla- the Philadelphia Renaissance as well? Well, I believe it's been submitted to some people, to a lot of the black press. Um, uh, but right now, I think it's an Uptown Standard and okay. all those publications that are, uh, I think, the Scoop, uh, Uptown Standard, and I think uh, the other publications that are that are connected to the Uptown Standard. No doubt, man. We appreciate you. I hope you have a great rest of your day. 
You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 